This week on Project Botany, we're going to take a look at seedlings, where they come from, and how they work. Welcome to Project Botany's Seed Bank. It's about 5 degrees centigrade, or 41 degrees Fahrenheit in here. The humidity is about 15%. The massive air conditioners pump cool air into here 24 hours a day, keeping it nice and cold. Some seeds are even kept in a deep freeze of negative 18 degrees centigrade, or about 0 degrees Fahrenheit. But why do we spend so much effort and energy just to preserve some seeds? Well, I'm glad you asked. The perfect example is right here in the section called Trictum, the genus of wheat. Partway down the aisle, we find a container marked 1960. And in here, we have samples of wheat gathered from all over the world in the year 1960. We collect and store these seeds as they each represent a specific plant that has its own traits and expressions of its own genetics. Once we have these seeds, we let people withdraw these seeds and use their genetics to improve the plants they are trying to breed. And all of this is made possible by a seed's unique design. They are incredibly tough, and when they are kept at these low temperatures, they remain viable for decades. However, the incredible story of these little seeds begins with the humble flower. Let's take a walk through the greenhouses. I'll show you. Our greenhouses are home to a large variety of plants. Desert plants, jungle plants, small plants like petunias, and large plants like oak trees. The one thing all these plants have in common, though, is flowers. A flower is how a plant reproduces. They hold the cells and organs necessary for reproduction and also attract pollinators, who are key to a plant's reproductive cycle. This is where the birds and the bees and the moths come in. The sphinx moth has a tongue purpose-built for one job, and that is to get the nectar out of the Angicum sesquipedale, or the star orchid, which is known for its long nectar spur. When the sphinx moth uses its long proboscis to get the nectar, it gets covered in pollen, which is stored at the top of the stamen, or the male reproductive organ in a flower. As the moth moves to the next flower for more food, it spreads the pollen from the first flower onto the second flower's pistil, or a flower's female reproductive organ. The sperm from the pollen makes its way to the ovary where it fertilizes an egg. The cell will then divide and divide, becoming a seed. Then, we get to see the magic happen. While in the seed bank, I grabbed a seed for an Acer palmatum or Japanese maple. We'll take it to one of the labs and we'll cut it in half and use a microscope to see what seeds look like. As you can see, the biggest one are the cotyledons. They are the large stores of food that the seed uses up during germination. They also form the first leaves of the seedling. In between the cotyledons, we find the embryo of the plant waiting for its chance to become a fully grown plant. The embryo is made up of a few parts too. The first is the radical. It is the first root that will poke out of the seed. Next is the hypocotyl. This is the length of stem that pushes the cotyledon of the seed up out of the ground. Nestled in the middle of all of this is the epicotyl or the true leaves. Once the cotyledons are spent, the epicotyl will become the plant's first set of true leaves. For the final step of our seeds journey, we're going back to our greenhouses, specifically the germination greenhouse. Inside, we have a series of chambers dedicated to testing the germination rates of seeds, the germination requirements of those seeds, and for demonstrating how the germination process takes place. First, you have to get the water into the seed through the seed coat. For most seeds, this is a simple process. You just add water. For others, though, this can be a problem. One example is seeds from the Aquagelia genus, or columbine flowers, which have hard seed coats that need to be scarified. 
Scarification is the process of breaking down the seed coat. This could mean nicking it mechanically with sharp tools or soaking the seeds in water or even a weak acid to soften and crack the seed coat before planting. This means water can get in easier and start the germination process. When water gets into the seed, this is called imbibition, and the seed starts to drink up a lot of water fast. The rapid uptake of water sets in motion all the parts of a seed we talked about. The first to start moving is the radical, the new plant's first root. The root will start to dig into the soil looking for food and more water. Next is the hypocotyl and the cotyledons. The hypocotyl will pull the cotyledons up out of the soil where they will begin to expand. The seedling will start to use the carbohydrates stored in the cotyledons to fuel the growth of both the radical and the epicotyl or true leaves. That entire process is all it takes to get a seed to become a plant. Another trick up the seed's sleeves are the many forms of dormancy, or the inability of a viable seed to start the germination process. Dormancy protects the seeds from germination in unfavorable conditions. One example of this is the Helleborus orientalis, or the hellebore flower, a small herbaceous perennial with tulip-like flowers. The Helleborus plant produces its seeds later in the season. This may seem like a great time for more Helleborus plants to grow, but the growth window has closed for the plant, and if the seeds germinate, they will start growing late in the season, and they won't be able to reach the full size of the plant before the cold sets in and kills the plant. To prevent this, the seeds require a cold period called cold stratification. This means seeds can drop during the latter part of summer and won't germinate until the germination inhibitors have broken down during the winter months. Then, when spring begins, the seeds will germinate in ideal conditions. Other forms of dormancy need to be broken by warm periods or just soaking up water like most of the seeds you would plant in a garden. There are a few seeds that break this model though. Rhizophora mongol, the red mangrove tree, has seeds that germinate while still on the tree. You'll see the radical emerge and form a spike, so when the seed falls, it embeds itself in the soil. This is called vivipary. It's rare, but you can see vivipary on some fruits. The seeds coated in strawberry will germinate, and you'll see cotyledons coating the surface of the fruit. The seeds of a tomato can germinate inside the tomato, even pushing through the skin, giving you a little tomato garden inside a tomato. Before we end our tour today, we need to head to the library. And there is a poem by Edgar A. Guest that sums up our exploration of seeds pretty well. Here it is. I paid a dime for a package of seeds, and the clerk tossed them out with a flip. We've got them assorted for every man's needs, he said with a smile on his lip. Pansies and poppies and asters and peas, ten cents a package and pick as you please. Now seeds are just dimes to the man in the store, and dimes are the things he needs. And I've been to buy them in seasons before, and have thought of them merely as seeds. But it flashed through my mind as I took them this time, you've purchased a miracle here for a dime. You've a dime's worth of power no man can create, you've a dime's worth of life in your hand. You've a dime's worth of mystery, destiny, fate, which the wisest cannot understand. In this bright little package, now isn't it odd, you've a dime's worth of something known only to God. Now, next time you're out in the garden or in your yard, take a second to collect some seeds and package them up. You never know what miracles lie in store. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next week for another tour of Project Botany.